so I'd like this evening to just share more reflections on the transformative qualities of appreciation and of joy that we've been exploring together and each of us in our own practice today. I'd like to begin with a, a short quote from Sharon Salzberg, who says, what is essential to develop in terms of oneself are the abilities to rejoice and have gratitude. She doesn't mince her words. What is essential to develop in terms of oneself? the abilities to rejoice and have gratitude. So why is she saying that? Maybe we already have some sense of that for ourselves today. I think I've mentioned a few times how interesting it is to live in, in this period of time when science is, is kind of exploring things that the Buddha already spoke about 2,600 years ago when he was encouraging us to incline our mind to joy, incline our mind to the wholesome. And one of the things that is a pretty hot topic, you may have heard of it, is this thing called negativity bias that scientists are speaking about, where they've actually discovered that the way our brains are wired is that negative imprints have much more of an impact than positive. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> We may have been walking around the planet for however years we have been just thinking, like me, that I'm an aversive personality, which I am. But it seems that to some degree, all of us, our brains are actually wired in that way. And so they've done this research that shows that we can have the same amount of positive and negative things happening. And the negative will leave a kind of mark or in another way that it takes a lot more positive things to happen than negative in order for us to be aware of the positive. And of course, when we think of the way our species has evolved, then there's an explanation for that. that when we were hunter-gatherers, we really had to watch out for danger. Yeah? And the chances of getting hurt we were very vulnerable, very exposed. And so that's why the so-called negative, the things that, are, that we need to watch out for, affect us more. We're aware of them more. Obviously, the conditions of our lives have changed, but the mind is pliable, but hasn't evolved as quickly. And so one kind of saying that they have in the negative bias 
world is negative is, is Velcro to the negative and Teflon to the positive. So the negative sticks and the positive often just doesn't, just washes away. And so that's another kind of interesting fact to be aware of about ourselves and that this kind of inclination to joy, opening to joy, opening to appreciation isn't just some cheap psychology, even though I've just been <laughs> quoting psycholo psychological research, but actually has that possibility of addressing an imbalance that's in us. So could we actually live in a more balanced way that embraces the fullness of our life? That embraces the fullness of our life, that allows the joy, the positive, the appreciation, the gratitude. Not as something extra, but as something essential. And it's a question that we can each resonate and, and find the answer. For ourselves, what's what's true for me? How do I want to live my life? So often when I find myself speaking about joy, I regress to my childhood and this song comes. And sometimes, or once before, I've actually sung it in a talk, but there was no microphone. <laughs> this is much scarier. But because Caroline sang yesterday, I try. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, this is a regression to childhood, to what was my favorite film. Maybe you're already getting the hint. And feel free to join. So, the song is my favorite things from the sounds of music. And I apologize in advance if you end up having this on constant replay in your head. I don't know if I'll be able to do this. Let's see. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with string. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. Thank you. So there's two more verses, but we won't go there. <laughs> well, I noticed there's a few things about this song that I, I find valuable, even many years later, past my childhood. And one again is that balancing, that understanding that when things are difficult and hard, we can also open to the joyful and to the supportive. And that actually just doesn't mean ignoring what's difficult, but it means that we can rest in more 
than just that. And when I was looking at the lyrics today, what really touched me was that so many of the things on this list of favorite things aren't personal. Yeah, it's not my iPhone. <laughs> it's not my Barbie doll, if we think of kids. You know, it's not my, you know, red truck. It's raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles. There's more. Cream-colored ponies. Doorbells and sleigh bells. You know, things that aren't that mine. Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. Snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes. Silver white winters that melt into spring. So that those simple things that aren't necessarily ours, but that touch us deeply and connect us to our place in the bigger picture, in life, in the world, that kind of fill us with that sense of wonder. And so many experiences that we've been having here over the days have been like that, being in the garden, seeing nature, hearing the birds. So the joy, the appreciation that we're speaking about here isn't, you know, that kind of sugar rush, giddy high, even though, if I'm honest with you, it does say crisp apple strudels in the song as well. But it's not that. It's not about feeling good just because I want to feel good, I. It's about being fully alive. It's about coming alive and about what brings us into that aliveness, which can be slightly different between us, not necessarily the same. So it's kind of a warm, open and inclusive and alive appreciation and joy. And these qualities, you know, I've been talking about inclusivity and openness, and they also really ground us, also kind of help us to rest back into, into life. And they support a, a steadiness that can really help us stay connected in the ups and downs of life. Yeah, in those times when the dog bites or the bee stings. And also when there's joy, when there's success, when we get what we want, whatever it is. So they can sustain us in that and allow us to really be fully alive there without adding to the drama, necessarily, without adding anything to the drama. And when the Buddha spoke about meditation and this cultivation of joy, he described a really beautiful process, and this is a quote from the suttas. He speaks about this cultivation of delight, of joy through practice. And he says, from the delight, the meditator's mind becomes relaxed. With a relaxed body, 
joy arises. And with joy, her mind is naturally concentrated. And again, I think sometimes we know this without having some deep meditative state necessarily. Those times when we are happy, joyful, appreciative, and then there's just that natural calmness and unification of mind that arises. There's just nothing missing. And we just are. We just are. So sometimes these things arise of themselves. And then, of course, there's also ways that we can open to them and practice and cultivate. And I'd like to just speak a little bit about some of these. So the first one is something that the reflective exercise this afternoon touched on, is to practice gratitude. Another thing that sounds like a feel-good thing. But when we really look at what gratitude does to us, when we experience it, when we open to it, how it brings perspective and dissolves negativity. Yeah, you really can do that. And when I was reflecting on this, I was asking myself, you know, why is that? Why is gratitude so missing from our lives? Why don't we, well, most of us, not spend more time feeling appreciation and gratitude for what we have, for what we are. And a lot of it is the speed in which we move, the fact that we're constantly pulled to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and we don't notice what's here. And of course, being here in this environment, in this intention, in the slowing down, in the stillness, we can actually come to it a lot more, make space. connect to what is happening, what is available to us. And people have been sharing with us today these moments of just feeling joy, feeling presence. Just feeling that very simple aliveness in their being. So through turning our interest towards gratitude, we can really bring some balance into our lives. We can connect to abundance rather than lack. We can feel what we have rather than what we're missing or what we don't have. So another regression into my childhood, it's not going to be a song this time, is this story about Pollyanna. don't know how popular she was in, uh, in the UK. It's this American book about a girl who grows up very poor. And she and her father rely on these parcels 
that arrive with clothes and things that they might need. And she really wants a doll <laughs> to come in the next parcel. But there's no doll, there's just clothes, and the only thing that isn't clothes is a pair of crutches. So her father inv invents the gladness game. And the gladness game is about appreciating and being grateful for what we receive. So in that case, being grateful that we don't actually need the crutches. And so this little girl ends up moving to a town, and the story is how she transforms everyone's lives around her with this gladness game. And so I sometimes kind of play this game. It's a game of gratitude, again, of gladness, of, of seeing what, life's bring, what life brings, and then seeing what else is there in there. And it's really important with that, that it's not about ignoring the suffering. It's not about cutting ourselves off from sadness or pain or whatever it is. It's again just widening the base, widening the perspective. And in kind of counterintuitive way, it actually deepens our roots into life, deepens our connection into the all of life, that movement of joy and sorrow. And it increases our capacity to stay steady in that, to stay steady with suffering and to respond to it. And there's a lot of very deep questions that arise in this practice. For example, how do we acknowledge our own good fortune without being overwhelmed by the suffering of others? How do we hold that? I think I read a few months ago uh, this piece of information that you sometimes read, which said that anyone in the UK that has assets worth half a million pounds or more is in the 1% of the richest people on the planet. So, you know, even if we haven't got assets of half a million pounds, we can imagine that all of us sitting in this room, as far as humanity is concerned, are pretty high in the percentages, even if we're unemployed in this country. You know, that's, that's something to consider. Now, how do, we, how do we acknowledge and appreciate our own good fortune, whatever it is, without being overwhelmed by the suffering of others? those that are less fortunate. And how do we acknowledge and appreciate the good fortune of others without getting caught up in what we don't have? <laughs> That's also an interesting one. How do we do that? And these are really interesting questions, at least for me. I hope for some of you. <laughs> 
to just kind of just be with, you know. They're, they don't have easy answers, but they're interesting to, to look at, to expand into. So can we own the circumstances of our lives, the fortunate and the less fortunate? Can we own them? And at the same time, hold them in the context of the bigger picture of the causes and conditions that create all of our lives and that we have very little control over. In my experience, practicing that, having that intention, working with that, supports me to be a wholer, more whole human being. Not being afraid of these big questions. And it can free us to act compassionately and wisely in addressing the suffering of our world, the near and the far, the small and the big, the personal and the global. It can do that. So in January this year, I, I called a friend. I was in India, he was in Palestine. And we had a conversation that had an impact on me, and it had such an impact that I wrote it down afterwards. It's very short, don't worry. And the situation was that at that point in time in my friend's village, which is a village I spend a lot of time in, the army had blocked the entrance to the village, the Israeli army had blocked the entrance to the village. They'd dug up the road and uh, there were some soldiers there. And also the soldiers were coming in, sometimes in the afternoon, sometimes in the evening, sometimes in the night, patrolling, arresting. And this had been um, going on, I think this was the fourth time this happened in, in six months for no apparent reason, by the way. So I heard about this from an Israeli friend and I phoned my friend whose name is Zohil. I'm Zohar, it's a bit confusing. I phoned him to, to speak to him. And I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. Like here I am in India, on a beach, having a vacation, and there he is in his village, the entrance to the village blocked. And pretty quickly in the conversation, I said to him, Zohar, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And he said back, but why are you sorry? It's not your fault. Why are you sorry? And that was such an important question to me. You know, it made me look deeper into the sense of guilt that I was carrying. And I said to him, well, I'm, I'm really sad that I am free <laughs> to travel 
and move around and do what I want, and you are not. Makes me really sad. And we were just in there together, just acknowledging that. Just acknowledging that I am free and you are not. And that's the reality we live in. I haven't done anything to deserve my freedom. You haven't done anything to deserve the circumstances of your life. But this is the reality we live in. So the sense of gratitude and appreciation doesn't mean that we just have this kind of 100% good or enjoyable feeling. That's kind of what I'm trying to get to. We can have gratitude and appreciation for our life that isn't drowning in guilt. And that can hold the sadness at the fact that not everyone has that, whatever it is that we're experiencing in that moment. Not everyone has that. And this connects us to our ability to hold seeming contradictions in life in general, which is one of the deep secrets <laughs> that we begin to uncover through our practice, that we can be sad and touched, and sometimes even feel joy in that ability to feel. That we can have joy for someone, appreciate things about their life, or have compassion for someone without condoning their actions. Like I said earlier today, you know, that's, we have that ability to hold contradictions. It's not as black and white as we've been taught to expect it to be. can really help to bring perspective to our own lives and the lives of others. So sometimes that openness to appreciate what I have to feel the sadness at what someone else doesn't can help us ground in what's most important in this case, in this conversation, the friendship, the shared love that goes beyond the borders and the differences. So can we open to the blessings of our lives and use them as fuel, as energy, as sustenance, to work for the benefit and the welfare of everyone? It's also a question for us. Can we do that? Are we interested in that?
can we let ourselves feel joy in our own lives? Can we also look for the good in others? That's also something interesting to do, to look for the good in others, to look for the good in the world. Can we kind of cultivate that ability to find the good, to appreciate it, to enjoy it? So when we set this intention to stay true to our own humanity and the humanity of all of us, including the non-humans, I was struggling with the words there, (laughs) but including the non-humans, including the animals, when we set that intention to stay true to that in all of us, We're taking a step towards freedom. And when we practice to dissolve the boundaries between self and other, we're taking steps towards freedom. When we recognize the greed, the anger, the ignorance in ourselves, in all of us, and we work to transform that, we're taking steps towards freedom. When we recognize that we all know suffering and wish for happiness, we're taking steps towards freedom. So acknowledging our shared humanity, (laughs) including with the non-humans, I just love the word humanity. I can't find a replacement for it that includes, so I'm going to keep including the non-humans because I think they really, really matter in this. Really matter. I'm just going to say an aside here. I don't know if anyone's heard that there's a work in progress to grant dolphins and whales a status, official status in the UN, I think, to be non-human humans or something like that. So I, yeah, I'm for it, but not just for them. Yeah. So that acknowledging that shared humanity doesn't mean that we lose our passion or our power to act for change. It actually empowers us more. Empowers us more. Our roots are deeper. And the practice, this practice starts now. <laughs> right where we are, right now, this moment, with the simplest things, with appreciating the simplest things, the fact that we have a body that is alive enough and healthy enough to breathe, to digest food, to eliminate toxins. That's not something to be taken for granted. We can appreciate that. The fact that we have a mind-heart that can understand, that can feel, that can experience, that can question. That's not something to take for granted. The fact that we have the life circumstances that allow us to be here 
to do this, not something to take for granted. So all things that we can open to, appreciate, even if you're counting the days <laughs> and the hours and the minutes and the seconds. But we have a choice. So not creating gratitude forcefully or appreciation forcefully, but just opening to these areas and checking what comes, what arises. Noticing when a sense of ease, appreciation, joy arises in us out of inclining the mind to it or just naturally. One of my practices is that moment when I'm fully settled in bed, and the duvet's up, and it's just, ah. And there's just a sense of ease that arises there, suspending so time in those moments. Whether they surprise us or there's something, a time that we know, something that we know. Spending time letting us absorb, soak in, you know, the way the, the earth soaks the dew, soaks the rain, soak it in through our, our skin our being. Noticing when we are consumed by envy, comparing mind, judgment, negativity in all its forms, noticing that also. Breathing and feeling. Letting ourselves have some space around that. And then Reminding ourselves that everyone suffers, even the object of our envy or our comparison. Reminding ourselves that someone else's joy or happiness does not limit our own. That's a myth. So reminding ourselves of that. And without pushing away our aversive mind state, just investigating gently in this way. Practicing compassion towards ourselves in these kind of situations. And if possible, mudita, appreciative joy for the other. We can do both at the same time, opening in different directions. Dalai Lama and his beautiful <laughs> simplification, his beautiful way of simplifying things, says about mudita. Cultivating mudita is only logical, so simple. If I'm only happy for myself, there's fewer chances of happiness. <laughs> yeah? If I'm happy when good things happy, happen to other people, there's so many more chances of happiness. You've got, you've got to love the guy. <laughs> I mean, you just got to love him. He just makes it so simple. And then you kind of have that image of his smile, and that's it. <laughs> but it makes sense. It's not easy, but it makes sense on a very deep level. So Medita, like the other immeasurables, can really dissolve and break down those walls 
between us. It can really do that. It can really bring healing to ourselves in our relationship with ourselves, to ourselves in our personal relationships, and to the world. It can really do that. And when we let these immeasurables lead us, lead our lives, then deep transformation, deep healing can happen. And I'd just like to, to end with one short sharing of a demonstration I was at in November. It's November 15th. For those of you who don't know, that's Palestinian Independence Day. And so we were just at the end of a two-month period in Israel and Palestine, and we went to a demonstration in solidarity with Palestinian independence. And the demonstration took place at a point in the separation barrier, this very long, very tall wall and fence that Israel is building, has, is building, still building, 10 years. And the demonstration took place in a, in a part of the wall, which is a fence, not a wall. And there were Palestinians and internationals coming from the Palestinian side, and Israelis and inter internationals coming from the Israeli side. And so we stood on both sides, and there's a fence and a fence, and then a, a road, a security road in between that the army uses to patrol. So we stood on both sides with um, some loudspeakers and enormous puppets that kind of flew up into the air and met. <laughs> they were enormous, met over the wall. And we were chanting song, you know, chants and stuff like that. It was all very peaceful. And then in one moment, Palestinians got very close to the fence on their side. And two army jeeps arrived and a bunch of soldiers ran out and were running towards the Palestinians, which included women and children, with um, sound bombs and tear gas at the ready, very close range. And the organizers on the Israeli side picked up the loudspeakers and called to the soldiers, we are human beings just like you. You are not in danger. This is a nonviolent demonstration. They called it much louder than I am. I just can't say it louder right now. We are human beings just like you. You are not in danger. Do not be afraid. This is a nonviolent demonstration. And they repeated it again and again. And they also said, we know that you too are human beings wearing uniforms. We are human beings just like you. This is a nonviolent demonstration. You are not in danger. 
and something that almost never happens happened. They didn't shoot. They backed off and they stayed to one side as we all carried on being there, singing, chanting, talking to each other on our mobile phones. And so when we're led by compassion, loving kindness, mudita, equanimity, we can reach to the depth of another and help them to connect to their own humanity, even in the most highly conditioned situation of 18, 19, 20-year-old brainwashed soldiers. And we can make them feel safe enough to not cause harm. Isn't that a gift to offer to ourselves and to the world? So for me, it's worth practicing for. And knowing that every tiny moment of presence, compassion, loving kindness, equanimity, medita, brings change on the deepest level of our shared humanity and life. So let's just have some quiet moments together to close. May our practice together continue to sow and nourish seeds of compassion, loving kindness, appreciative joy and equanimity in our own hearts and in all hearts. May every moment of our shared practice together nourish peace, justice, equality, and well-being for all beings in all directions, for all beings everywhere.
So thank you for your listening and your presence and for your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.